This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast, episode 45 is brought to you from joyfulcourage.com. Yes, my website. It is a great place. Have you played around there? I want to tell you about an offer that I have on the joyfulcourage.com website, and it is called the Centered Parenting e-course. It is on demand, and it is a five-week e-course. The idea behind the Centered Parenting e-course is to create space for parents to get to know the parts of themselves that their children are here to grow. You hear me talking about that a lot on the podcast. My children are my teachers. Your children are your teachers. They show up for a reason. And (laughs) part of the reason is to highlight the various places that we have yet to grow. Once we can locate these areas, we can begin to grow and evolve in a way that invites and builds strong relationships with our kids and encourages them to grow as well. This course is delivered over a five-week period and uses audio meditations to ignite your centered spirit, videos that dig deep into positive discipline, parenting tools, and e-workbooks to explore further what you're learning and noticing about your own parenting. Joyful courage, raising our children while growing ourselves. Hi, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. You're going to love my guest. She is brilliant and has so much to teach us about the young brain in development and what happens when we really start taking a look at what it means to grow attachment with our children. My guest is Dr. Deborah McNamara. She is on faculty at the Newfield Institute and author of Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers or Anyone Who Acts Like One. (laughs) I love that title. She presents, teaches, and writes on all facets of child and adolescent development based on the relational developmental approach of Gordon Newfield. She is also a private practice, in private practice, where she offers counseling services to parents and professionals in making sense of learning behavioral, and developmental issues in kids. Deborah is a dynamic teacher and experienced counselor who makes developmental science 
come to life in the everyday context of home and classroom. And I'm so honored to have her on the Joyful Courage podcast. And I think that you're going to love her too. So let's meet Deborah. Hi there, Deborah. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Casey. Lovely to be here. Please tell my listeners a little bit about your journey to doing what you do. Um, well, I work as a counselor and, and as an educator at the Newfeld Institute, where I work with uh, Dr. Gordon Newfeld. I've known him for about 10 or 12 years now. I found him when I first became a parent with uh, two young children and thought that his approach, his developmental relational approach to making sense of kids was exactly what I needed and wanted uh, as a parent and as a professional. Okay, well, tell us a little bit more about that Newfield philosophy, because I am new to Gordon Newfield's work, although I've heard his name, you know, out and about in the parent world for a long time. But mm-hmm. for those of us that are that are coming new to his philosophy, can you tell us a little bit about the guiding principles of Newfield's philosophy? Sure. He's um, a developmental and relational psychologist that's internationally uh, well-known. That began with the book called Hold On to Your Kids that he wrote with Gabor Mate that looked at the phenomena of peer orientation or when our children become more attached to their peers than they are to their adults. And at the core of the Neufeld approach um, is this idea that making sense of kids to the adults who are responsible for them is actually the best place uh, to help a parent become the answer to a child's needs. That when we have insight into uh, their needs and how they grow, that that moves a parent from that place of instinct and emotion to provide for them. So our approach is very much putting adults in the driver's seat and caring for their kids. And we use language that is intuitive so that it renders a parent uh, much more intuitive in terms of what a a child needs and uh, puts insight at the fore rather than parenting skill. So none of our interventions are contrived or divorced from developmental science. And of course, it's based in relational science, which is about how adults are the answer to a child's hunger for connection. Um, And that really with this relationship, we're fostering a dependent relationship where a child turns to us. Uh, for emotional support and guidance, uh, and that we must become caretakers uh, for their hearts. Mm-hmm. So the the whole point of developmentalist uh, de- developmentalist approach really is concerned at the core with the unfolding of human potential. So how do we become separate social and adaptive beings? Mm. I love caretakers for the their hearts. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. And and what I'm hearing you speak into as well is. You know, the more that we can know about what's happening developmentally for our kids, the easier it becomes to navigate our own <laughs> emotional overload when the behavior when the behavior shows up with kids and it's inconvenient or, you know, however we want to judge the behavior as the adult in the situation, the more knowledge we have around what's happening developmentally allows us to take it less personally. Absolutely. Right. It is It is about our expectations. You know, if we expect something differently from them, we're often very frustrated when they can't um, meet our expectations. So yeah, it's yeah. absolutely about this insight. Yeah. And I know that for me as a parent, I, I am my best self when I'm not taking things personally, <laughs> for sure. So what, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think we're our best, uh, you know, parent, uh, spouse, friend, uh, when that is true, right? It, yeah. uh, it leads to all sorts of uh, misunderstandings and missteps. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, what's happening developmentally with our preschoolers? Because you have a before we actually before we go there, you have a new book coming out. Is it out yet? It's not out yet. Yes. Oh, it is it just, out. It was just released. Yes. Awesome. A book that was just released: Rest, Play, Grow: Making Sense of Preschoolers or Anyone Who Acts Like One by Deborah McNamara. So you have some great insight into this age group, which I'm really excited to talk to you about. A lot of the clients that I work with have preschoolers, listeners, and people that I interact with um, online have preschoolers. So what is happening developmentally with our preschoolers? Uh, well, preschoolers, the age range, I would say, for preschoolers is anywhere from two to six. So it encapsulates the toddler preschooler kindergarten ages and what we know is that their brains are very immature uh, it takes about five to seven years for their brains to resemble uh, in functioning uh, more like an adult uh, brain and so as a result they're incredibly impulsive they only do one thing at a time uh, and usually the focus of their attention is themselves and so thoughts about consideration or caring or sharing or getting along these are really overrated when it comes to them because uh, the goal of a, of a young child of development is really to focus on oneself and to become a separate person mm -hmm. so they're very untempered as they should be um, and very impulsive very egocentric and this isn't a fault or failing this is actually developmental by design yeah something that I often will say to parents is you know, a pre, you know, a three-year-old that's or a two-year-old that's jumping on the couch, even though you've told them over and over and over not to jump on the couch, is actually listening to the louder voice inside of their body saying, "Jump, leap, explore, play." Mm -hmm. Absolutely, well said. Yeah. yeah. So, Deborah, tell us a little bit about the importance of play in preschool development and what the parents' role is in this. Well, play is the leading edge of development, and I'm passionate about preserving play for young children. I think oftentimes it gets pushed to the side, thinking that this is something more frivolous or a luxury of childhood. But we actually see that most of the uh, growth actually happens here. And the reason for that is because it's a place that's free of consequences. And it's a place that a child should feel very free to be expressive and exploratory. Uh, it shouldn't be a place that a child has to work at. And when a child isn't at work, that's when a child grows most of all. Now, the interesting thing about play is that there's a lot of different things that come from that. Not only is there incredible brain development, but children actually express a lot of their emotions in their play. And so that keeps the emotions, uh, tends to keep them much more balanced uh, and helps a lot of those emotions come to the surface uh, that they may have experienced during any given day. Uh, it is also the place where we find our interests, where we sort of hear, where a child hears himself resonating in the world around them and is drawn to particular things. It's the very unfolding of our um you know, our early occupations, you know, teachers to uh, lawyers to, um, you know, gardeners, you can see that the, uh, they'll express themselves in their world along particular lines of interest and they'll have a particular bent. And so you really start to see a child move to become a separate person and play. Now, the question that you asked, which is a great one, which is what's the parent's role in that? I, I get a lot of parents asking me, does this mean I have to play with them all the time? Well, I think it's wonderful that you would play with your kids and that you find something that's enjoyable for both of you to do. Really, the type of play that leads to this strong development is really something a child usually does on their own. Sometimes they can do it with a sibling, but it really is a personal type of um, endeavor for a child. So in order to release a child to play, really what a parent needs to do is to provide enough contact and closeness 
so that a child isn't sort of looking to get their attachment needs met. If they can take for granted their attachment needs will be met, then usually they will uh, move into play. That's, of course, if they don't have any excess stimulation or or hungry or tired or that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of a fleeting type of space that you have to have the right luxuries in your life. But attachment is the biggest thing that must work for them this way. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that because I remember being a mom of a young daughter and hearing these other moms say, oh, yeah, you know, my child, they'll just sit and play by themselves for, you know, a good 45 minutes. And I remember looking at them and thinking, are you kidding me right now? Because I cannot even get two feet away from this kid. So um, so tell, talk to me a little bit about that whole having their attachment needs met. And if there are listeners thinking like, wow, how I know that my child isn't. Hey, friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season, and this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer.
you know, kind of paint a picture of the typical play situation. Are we talking like long periods of time, short periods of time? How can a parent know if their child is in a, you know, a healthy relationship with play? Okay. Well, the more the child is hungry for connection, mm-hmm. uh, obviously the harder it is to satiate them. And children who are younger, I would say under the age of three, um, you will see that they really are just creatures of attachment. So they stay pretty close. Mm-hmm. But by the time they're about two and a half and three, you'll start to see these little expressions of, you know, wanting to venture forth and do it myself. And I do, mm-hmm. and no, leave me alone. And you can see this child is, you know, starting to you know, spread their wings a little bit and try out stuff. And so, uh, you know, what you want to do to try to uh, promote them moving into expression and exploration is to have some cuddle time or whatever, some contact and closeness where you have a conversation, you might feed them, you might read them a book, and then introduce them to some play, you know, uh, set up the blocks, set up whatever it is that they might be drawn to. And slowly try to find yourself retreating uh, to a more background position. Don't occupy yourself with anything, like don't pick up the phone because that usually uh, hijacks all attention. We all know that. (laughs) (laughs) They start to circle you like a shark at that point, right? Um, So pretend like uh, you are still available without sort of being in their place and uh, see if they can sort of withstand and, uh, you know, play on their own for a little bit. Uh, A child who's three is just starting to come into this place. A child who's five uh, would exhibit this a little bit more freely, where you will see that they're not as preoccupied with their attachment needs if if development's all going well. Mm -hmm. And so it really is about making sure that you've taken care of the the very basic hungers that they have, including relationship, and then giving them some space to do it. And, And, you know, what is that, what's going to be in that space that will help facilitate it you know is your child uh, drawn to arts and crafts is it taking them outside with uh, you know equipment or running around like you know balls or whatever it might be uh, and really facilitating the space uh, for a child to sort of venture forth with it but yeah as a child gets older you would see that they would be able to have focused attention on play for greater amounts of time yeah I like that I like that gradual unfolding right Mm -hmm. and I and would you say that temperament comes into play here too I mean are there just going to be kids that are those independent more or less um not less needy but because it's not needy it's just hungry for for attachment like you said and connection I talk a lot about connection but do you think that you know kids come with different temperaments so there's obviously going to be some kids that this is going to be a really easy unfolding versus the others that might feel a little bit more nervous about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I do think so. Because I think that uh, when you look at the research, you see that at least one in five children are, are have a temperament that's more sensitive, meaning that they're more stirred up by their environment. So they, you know, touch, taste, smell, see, seeing, hearing, all the senses can be elevated. And as a result, they can take a little bit longer to satiate. And they might be um, you know, they just take a little bit longer to be able to be filled up yeah. and released to their play. So yeah, I think it's, you know, and again, a parent will know that that child, they might have one that is this way and one that isn't. Yeah. And they'll see that one seems to have much more freedom and ease in being in the world. And the other one seems to be a little bit more stirred up. So it's about giving each child what they need for that freedom, for that bias to play, to unfold. Well, and I like that idea around, you know, filling them up with snuggles and connection mm-hmm. prior to then, you know, helping them move towards more independent time and play. Right. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I think that's 
that's so key. And I think in our busy world, sometimes we forget about that, which leads me right into my next question for you. So when I work with parents, some of their biggest struggles, especially parents of preschoolers, come from trying to get their preschool to do what they want them to do when they want them to do it, right? Or they won't, they just won't listen. Or they'll say things mm-hmm. like, you know, I try all these tools, but really what gets them moving is when I'm finally yelling at them. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about how you work with parents of preschoolers around staying connected while also staying connected with their kids while also leading those same kids in the direction of where they want them to be going. Yes, this is, this happens to be probably, well, this is one of the areas I get asked the most about Mm -hmm. is just the resistance and opposition that seems to be so part and parcel of the young child. Uh, And we, and, and of course it can frustrate parents to no end uh, that uh, we have our own agendas and our child has another one. Darn it. Um, Yes. You know, as I write in the book, you know, um, someone said to me, you know, my mom and I did well until I was three and I had my own mind. And then we just disagreed from thereafter. <laughs> and, and the whole idea here is, of course, is that this resistance and opposition is actually coming from a very healthy place. It's called the counter will instinct. Mm-hmm. And it's an instinct to resist others when one feels coerced. Um, now, you might think, well, what is nature intending here? We have to tell our kids what to do. Like, how is this going to work? Well, the other instinct that children come with is, of course, their need for attachment mm-hmm. and the attachment instinct. And so if a child is not, a young child is not in active attachment with us because they can only hold on to one thing at a time, if they're not actively engaging with us, then we've kind of disappeared in terms of their attachment instincts. So if you go in cold with your request, meaning that you haven't engaged their attachment instincts before making it, the chance of being resisted or meeting with some opposition in a young child is going to be quite high because they really just don't operate without being collected first. Uh, They need us to move in in a friendly way. Now, we can't always do that, of course. And so that's why structure and routine is, uh, you know, one of the saving graces of being a parent is we set up our structure and our routine. What do mornings look like? What do evenings look like? Bath time, bedtime, food time. Uh, If you go into any preschool, you will see that they have a very clear structure and routine because the kids will attach to that. And that actually serves to give them direction without having to actively collect them each time that you need them to move on. Um, I I think the big thing that happens here is it does rile parents up. There's no doubt about it. Uh, No one likes to give uh, their child a direction and be met with opposition. I think the key thing here is 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 to keep in mind that we're never going to get rid of this. This is a very healthy instinct in a child. It means that the only people that can boss them around are the people that they are attached to. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, is that it's serving development by helping them become their own separate individual person. The more they grow, the more they become more separate, the more I do's, me do's, this is who I am that they have, the less likely they're going to feel pushed upon and coerced by other people. Yeah. And I, you know, I can't help, I don't have preschoolers anymore. I have a 10 year old son and a 13 year old daughter and I just can't help but remind parents that we want them to flex their no muscle because one day mm-hmm. they will be teenagers and middle schoolers and high schoolers and they will be confronted by all sorts of requests and offers and we want them to be that I am an individual, I have my own opinions, I can say no, I can yeah. walk away, right? So that it's so funny, well, not really funny, but it's so interesting 
<laughs> how resistance and opposition is so irritating in the preschool years, but then becomes such an amazing leadership skill when yes. confronted by some of the craziness um, that that shows up later on. And, you know, I think that I love what you're talking about, structure and routines. It's something that I am promoting all the time on the podcast and with my clients. Also, those in the and, – and that whole – so when I hear you say active attachment – can you, mm -hmm. can you make that distinction? What exactly is active attachment when you're talking about it? Well, the, uh, if you're not sort of front and center in a preschooler's face, mm -hmm. uh, they can only attend to one thing at a time. Okay. So only one part of the world comes into view. And so when you're collecting a child, you're trying to engage their, um, their instincts to be in relationship with you. And we right. do this very simply with adults. We say, hello, how are you? We usually talk about the weather. And we're looking for some sort of receptivity. Is this person, we're trying to read the person. Is, is this person wanting to engage with me? Uh, how are they answering me? What's their body language? And so our emotional centers are picking up all sorts of cues and information mm -hmm. about the receptivity to the relationship when we're, you know, sort of just venturing in for a hello. And this is really key with our kids, but I think we forget, we forget the importance of this yeah. because we see ourselves in our role as a parent. Therefore, we are to lead. I'm not disagreeing with that. Their attachment instincts aren't always in the same place. And so we need to move in, especially with them, because as soon as they play with something, they see the cat, you know, they're often running in their head in a different direction. And so we have to engage the attachment instincts. We have to get in their face and collect them, collect the eyes, collect a nod, uh, look for receptivity. And when we give our directions in the context of that, uh, the resi resistance and opposition will go down and everything inside of them should be move moving to follow us. Oh, I love that. And and what I typically refer to that as is, you know, connecting, right? Yeah, Just connect. absolutely. I love the, the way you said we have to collect them, though, in all of those different ways that we know that they are, we are together. They are with us, right? Yeah. One of the tools that we use in positive discipline is called connect before correct mm -hmm. or connect before redirect. And it's really like, it's really showing up with with the child and saying, hey, I see you. I see what you're doing. What you're doing is valid to you. Let me connect with you there. And it's time to <laughs> move on, yep. get your shoes yep. on or do whatever it is the next thing um, is for doing. So, and because when we don't, you know, we have that lovely power struggle dance that yes. shows up. So, um I would yeah, say one thing, though, is that, um, you know, I think that uh, I agree completely with you. I think the one thing that we misunderstand about preschoolers a lot is that even when we do all of this, mm -hmm. we're still going to get resistance yeah. because it is such an age uh, where do-it-myself really jumps to the fore. And so I think it's just to bear in mind that this isn't a fault or a defect in the preschooler. This has a developmental purpose. Yeah. When it does rise up, just to take a step back, you might not be able to collect them in that that moment or connect with them mm -hmm. but just take a step back because usually with a preschooler in five minutes they're on to something else and you have another go uh, to move in and, and not to hold it against them uh, try to be as uh, less coercive uh, in our tone you must you should you have to move it now <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm in a hurry and I'm late you know this is when the parents agenda gets big like that they feel very coerced and they can they can back up altogether but I absolutely agree if we could try to move into them uh, and connect with them a lot more before we redirected them. I think it would be very helpful for our relationship. And when you work with parents, so so I'm hearing what you're saying, and um, 
around, you know, sometimes we just got to take that, take that step back, recognize what's happening developmentally. How do you help? What do you, what's your advice to parents around managing themselves in that moment? Because like I said earlier, um, in the conversation, you know, part of the problem is that self-management that, mm-hmm. that, 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 how could you not do what I ask? Right. And it is mm-hmm. a mindset shift and it happens over time and practice and in relationship. What are some tools or tips that you could share that will just help parents in the process of, you know, not, not just stepping back, but being in a place mentally and emotionally to recognize that that's actually what's going to be helpful <laughs> and yeah. not just getting louder or more, or, or more, you know, in their mm-hmm. face. Well, you'll recognize, you know, when you become like your preschooler, because you'll be equally resistant mm-hmm. and op- oppositional, <laughs> and you'll find yourself in those power struggles, and they can be very hard. I don't think many parents feel very good about them afterwards. I think there's two things. One is is that when you have insight that this is developmentally where they're at, uh, it can feel less provocative because it isn't about defying your authority. It's about the preservation of themselves. Mm. Um, and so I think it can make it a little bit more palatable. I think the other thing is is that the place that we have uh, most of our influence is actually not in these incidences. I think oftentimes we think our discipline is meant to correct them so they become more mature. But in actual fact, in, these incidences are not the place where our children grow. It's actually about the place where we have to hold on to our relationship. And so in these moments, if we can bear in mind that this is just something we need to survive with our dignity intact, with our mm-hmm. child's dignity intact, while appearing to be uh, in charge um, and able to take care of the child, I think that that really is the key message that we need to convey in these moments. This doesn't have to be a teachable moment. This right. is just about surviving it uh, and and doing so in a way that preserves everyone's dignity and the relationship because it's that same relationship that you'll use to come back and talk to a child later on and say, you know, you didn't want to wear your shoes. You didn't want to wear your jacket. Yeah, you didn't want to share today. Uh, I can see that's hard. Uh, I know you didn't want to do that. Uh, this is what I need from you, though. So next time we're going to do that, I need you to listen and, and do that for me. Can I count on you? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to be the moment when the growth occurs is when you come back and you, t- you bring your child to your side and try to influence them and point them in the direction you want to go. You want to keep them receptive to your caretaking. But if we lose the relationship in those moments, we've, we're going to dampen or create problems with our receptivity to our message later on yeah so you had mentioned counter will instinct earlier yes. so when I coach parents around that convert that later on conversation about hey let's talk about what happened earlier I try to encourage parents to continuously draw forth from the child so tell me about what your experience was how did that feel mm-hmm. and then what what are you going to what are you going to do differently next time would you say cuz i feel like that is going to be more powerful if they, it's coming from them than for me to say listen next time this is what you need to do and i want to see you do it and mm-hmm. how it how does the counter will instinct work out in like those casual convers not casual but you know after the fact conversations that we're having mm-hmm. with our kids would you say that it's important that we're that we're engaging them into the conversation and pulling ideas out of them or what do you think? I think, yeah, I think sometimes you would want to go back around and, and talk about it. You know, you didn't feel like doing as I asked today. You had lots of resistance. You had your own mind. You wanted to do your own things. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes as a parent, I choose just to, you know, um, 
just, you know, sort of give my child a little bit more room. Yeah, I know. I'm using my bossy voice. Yes, I know. You don't want to be bossed around. Mm -hmm. I get that. We're still going to go. Yeah, (laughs) we're still going to do it. Um, But yes, yes. Did I use my bossy voice? Yes, I did. And we're still going to go. So sometimes it's just simply acknowledging that the child has their own uh, resistance and that can actually bring it uh, down. So I would sometimes circle back with a child and sometimes I wouldn't uh, make everything a teachable moment. That's for sure. Because it's just an instinct and the older they get, the less they'll need to react out of this instinct just naturally. And, uh, but there will be some times where they need to have a relationship with it to realize that sometimes resistance is futile. Mm -hmm. There may be some tears that are involved. Uh, No, we won't be going to the park without shoes on and without clothes on. And, you know, I'd love to get to the park with you sometime today, but uh, I'm sorry, this is going to be a no until we get there. And a child may need to find some tears and we'll comfort and be patient through it. And and so children do need to realize uh, at certain times that it is futile as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And, you know, and I, and, and what I'm, what I've come to understand too is the stronger the relationship, the work outside of the challenging behavior, the easier it is to say, I love you. And the answer is no, or, you know, or there is no, there happens to not be any choice here, or I am using my mean mommy. That's what I call it. (laughs) Mean mom voice. (laughs) And we got to get moving. So it seems like the more that the relationship is intact, the easier it is for them to, you know, go along or be, quote, easy in those moments where it's just like, hey, I don't, we can't, there is no choice here. This is just the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, the other, the other part of that too, is that there's incredible generosity that is given to a child 
uh, when we say no and we give them permission to have their feelings. Mm. We don't try to change them. You're going to be sad. I can handle this. You know, when we say yes, there's lots of generosity there. But in saying no and then welcoming the feelings of upset that will come, uh, there's incredible caring there as well that I think also strengthens the relationship, which is what, what I think I hear you saying. Talk a little bit about Newfield's Five Steps to Emotional Health and Maturity. I saw the um, the visual in your book, and I'd never seen it before. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really excited about this area, Gordon Newfield. Uh, we've been working on this area, and Gordon has put the pieces um, of this together in the last couple of years about how emotional development unfolds in a child. And of course, all the findings now in neuroscience is paving the way that this is an incredibly sophisticated development. And so the goal here is, of course, that we want to help our children to become civilized with their emotional expression. But that's actually the end goal. Um, And it, it starts with an adult having a relationship with the child's emotions so that we need to make room for the child to have some expression. The idea that they need to calm down or cut it out will actually press down on those emotions instead of helping the child have them out in the open so that we can help name them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can help uh, foster an awareness and an understanding and an acceptance of them. It's very difficult to have a relationship with an emotion that you can't express or that you have to cut out. What children Uh, you know, experience in those moments when we say, be quiet, that's not okay, that's mean, don't be upset, don't cry, uh, is that it's not okay to feel that feeling. And so what young children really need is uh, an invitation to have their emotions, doesn't mean we let them, you know, have them all out, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And every circumstance, we do have to take responsible actions. Um, but that we invite them to come out of a child and that expression is important and that we help them with their names for them. You know, that's frustration. That's, a, you yeah. know, worry. Because they don't know. They learn their language of their heart through us. And so if we don't have a relationship, they won't follow us and they won't learn their, their names for their feelings. Uh, and then we need to help bring those feelings into consciousness where they might have to have their tears about it. And it's just a gentle touch. It could be just room um, to acknowledge that something was difficult or that they're very happy about something or proud of themselves. And it's just to give a, a slight nudge to make that feeling a little bit more conscious mm-hmm. um, because we're not aware, actually, consciously of all the emotions we experience because we're not supposed to be. It would be overwhelming and uh, and it's not what's required. Emotion has a job to do, and that's the pr- the the primary focus of an emotion uh, is to make something work for a child. And so, being aware of your emotions is actually a luxury, and is something that we continually try to bring our children into awareness about. But the amazing uh, uh, developmental milestone happens, or should happen, hopefully, with ideal development around five to seven years of age, where they can start to mix emotions together. So if uh, we want a child to uh, move with courage, then it will be the mixing of both fear and desire at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's the paralysis that is caused as fear and desire are brought together that actually uh, creates the courage that is meant to propel them forward. It's the same thing as consideration. Um, There's one side of you that thinks about yourself and your needs and the other side thinks about the others. And it stops you in your tracks so that you are moving forward with a considered response of everybody's needs. Uh, Same with patience, self-control, forgiveness. All of these virtues that we associate Mm -hmm. with a mature temperament come from this mixing of emotions. 
but you can't mix an emotion that you haven't been allowed to express, that you don't have a name for, and that you can't feel vulnerably. So this comes after and is um, preceded by important um, steps that we need to take as parents. The ultimate um, step that leads to civilized relating is, of course, being able to reflect on one's emotions. And this comes after the five to seven shift where a child says, I think I was, I think I was frustrated. That's why I did that. You know, I disagree with myself. Um, next time I'm going to use my words instead of my hits, you know, or in teenage years where they reflect on how they've acted. And mm -hmm. uh, so you can have a dialogue and a relationship with your emotions. The, the primary idea here, of course, is that we can't push emotional development. Adults have an incredibly responsible uh, position to play here in introducing a child to their heart and to taking their time. But what I see happening today is that we're really pushing for emotional self-control. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we get to. But we can't expect, especially in these early years. Uh, it's even hard for us as adults. Yeah. Well, that's what I always <laughs> point out. <laughs> it's like they do not come with self-regulation skills, nor do many of the, you know, human adults that we see out in the world. And I love the term civilized relating. I mean, imagine mm -hmm. a world where everybody has had a caregiver parent in their life who's taken them through these five steps. It would be oh. a, a vastly different place. Absolutely. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love what, I, so I'm looking at the visual right now, Deborah, mm -hmm. in the book. And there's also these three other parts to it that I'm thinking, it looks like it breaks down. So those first the, in the initial years, as we're teaching that, help, giving space for them to express, mm -hmm. helping them to name, and allowing them to feel, mm -hmm. that really has to do with the adult's relationship to the child's feelings. Exactly. We're leading the show. Here. We're leading Absolutely. the show. And then yeah. as they get a little bit older, they're feeling their feelings. They're doing what you called mixing, which is a fascinating mm -hmm. conversation. We could do a whole podcast on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then reflecting that it's really about the child's relationship to their own feelings. Absolutely. And then finally, once they've, I won't say mastered, but once they're in the practice mm -hmm. of, of all of these steps, then they get to a place where they're deepening and developing their relationship to others. Is that what you, is? That's correct? absolutely it. And you have the whole developmental roadmap there that, first of all, the relationship must be with oneself mm -hmm. before one becomes a social being. And that in order to have a relationship with oneself, someone, an adult, must have a relationship with us. And this is what we call the orthogenic principle. It was uh, founded by Hans Werner, which is basically the developmental trajectory that all life unfolds. Uh, that uh, that a child must know who they are first before they become a social being and that the adult is responsible for helping the child know who they are. Oh, that's awesome. And you know what's interesting is whenever I work with parents, we always start with relationship to self yeah. and helping them to grow their own awareness of their own experience in within the relationship with their family. But if we're not paying attention to what's happening for us internally, then, you know, there's a whole you know, list of tools and tips and strategies. But if we're not internally recognizing when we are in emotional overload or coming from a place of fear for the future or regret and resentment from the past, then it doesn't really matter what tips or tools or strategies you're pulling out to use with your kids mm -hmm. because yes, it's not helpful. 
No, and, and our kids will certainly uh, be like flashlights to the emotions in ourselves that we struggle with and that where we need work. Yes. And that's why um, one of my favorite chapters in the book was how young children grow adults up mm. because it's a, it's a surprise, I think, sometimes uh, for us. I know it certainly was for me about how much growth in particular areas uh, they ref- that in being their parent, I realized I also needed. And so I think parents get surprised by that. Our focus is always on growing our children up and we, we are, are then left to see, oh my goodness, uh, they're making me grow as well more mature. Oh yeah. I talk about that a lot. Actually, the little <laughs> tagline to my business yes. is raising our children while growing ourselves. And I love that. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. So my last question, Deborah, is I would love to know what does joyful courage mean to you? Yeah, I love this. I love this question. Um, I think what it means to me is really about not shying away from our responsibility here as a parent uh, and all that comes with it, you know, is to embrace this as fully and as vulnerably as we can to have courage to look at ourselves when we fall short, you know, to be the one to say no to our children and welcome the tears and the sadness and the disappointment that will come. Um, to have courage in the face of the things that make us afraid or the things that we have to walk our children into that they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And that uh, really being a parent is about, uh, you know, becoming more aware of our imperfections. Uh, The more we strive uh, to be emotionally mature, the more ways we'll see we fall short. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that guilt is going to be part of the terrain and that um, to give our hearts fully to this as much as we can. Um, And to realize that while our bodies may get tired, um, you know, that in essence, our love doesn't get tired Mm. and that we can grow, we can grow through this, we can dig deeper. um, And that uh, the more that we are in relationship with our children, the more that we'll have reasons for why we want to do this. Oh, promise me you'll come back to the podcast. There's, <laughs> I would love yes, to come. Back there's to the so I feel like we just surface glided over so many big, powerful, amazing tidbits that I would love to dig deeper in with you. Your book is full of such powerful information for parents and caregivers who live and love live with and love preschoolers. When, so the book is already out. Yes, they can order it in all the normal places. Yeah, it's all on online okay. and uh, available internationally um, through Amazon, Canada, U.S., Great. all over the place. Great. Yeah. Where can listeners find you and follow your work? What are the social media outlets that you're on and, and what's your website? So my website is www.mcnamara.ca. Okay. Uh, Facebook is Dr. Deborah McNamara. And Twitter is at Deb McNamara. Great. I will have links to all of that, listeners, in the show notes as usual, so you can find it there. Deborah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Sincerely, a delight to meet you, Casey. The feeling is mutual. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Could you tell how much I totally love Deborah McNamara. That was awesome. She is so smart. I love, love, love that she came on to talk about her book and all of the amazing things that she knows about kids and development and attachment. All that good stuff. Can you hear my family? They just walked in. They don't care that I'm recording a podcast. Anyway, um, thank you for listening, my friends. I hope that you took a ton of notes. And if you didn't, That's okay because I did and I left them for you in the show notes. So 
Um, if there's anything that you missed, check there to see if um, if I saved it for you or listen again. And hey, would you do me a favor? Will you tell three people this week about the podcast? Tell three of your parent friends about the podcast and show them how to find it on their phone and help them to subscribe because this particular podcast comes on the last day of a month with my biggest growth, biggest amount of downloads. So I know that you guys are talking about the podcast and we are growing. It's so exciting. So keep doing it. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, Deborah, for being on the show. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Big, huge love to all of you. Have a beautiful day. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.